Thank you, Shane. Again, good morning, church family. Hope you're having a great day. I know that about half our church is on vacation this week. If you're looking around wondering where everybody's at, that is uh, where they are. But I want to thank Shane. Uh, a lot of our song leaders are out, and Shane decided to come out of retirement. We sent him the signal we needed relief. He came out like George Foreman in the 90s. Man, like it became the world champ. So I appreciate you, Shane. Great job on that. Appreciate Rick's words and that video he sent in. We were uh, asking around some of the guys to share a little uh, testimony about men's retreat, and uh, Rick was like, man, I got a video for you. So a couple things before we get started, then we're going to take a little time to say hello to somebody next to you, but do want to mention about Go Weekend uh, just around the corner, uh, July 22nd. That's our big service project, of course. If, If you haven't been a part of it before, we go out and we serve this area. Of course, with the tornado in Perryton and uh, all the need that is up there, we are in touch with the city there, um, and uh, they are wanting us to come up. So we're right, that 90% sure we're going to be heading that way uh, for Go Weekend and transitioning everything that way. That means that we're going to push our regular Go Weekend, which was focused on beautifying Canadians, back to the fall. We'll do that on a Saturday after a home football game, probably in September or the 1st of October. So just kind of have that in the back of your mind. This shouldn't keep you from signing up. We'll still need all ages. We'll still have jobs for everybody up in Perryton. And uh, we're going to be transitioning that way and hopefully be able to bless our neighbors to the north as well as many of our members that are part of this church that are, that are here with us, which is just Michael today, I think. So <laughs> everybody else is, again, it's vacation week in the Texas Panhandle, but uh, we're excited about that. The other thing uh, I want to encourage you guys to do is in the bulletin, there is a Mission Chile uh, prayer guide that Monsi Flores wrote for us, and uh, would like to encourage you at the end of services today, we're going to pray over our, our Chile team, which I think half of us are here, just like you know, we're, we're, we're half of the congregations here today. And so uh, we're going to pray over them. But be praying with us as we leave Friday, this Friday, and head down there. And as Cody said to the kids, as we work with the Toros down there and spend our time in La Serena, uh, blessing and just joining what God is doing already down there. We are not taking the Lord down there. He's already there. And so we're excited about that. But hey, we are excited that you are here. And before we jump in today, I know that you may want to uh, say hello to somebody you haven't got a chance to. Just, you don't have to get up if you don't want to, but lean over to a neighbor, go shake a hand. Let's just greet each other in the name of of Jesus today and tell each other that you are thankful uh, that they are here. Real quick, if you guys can do that for us. thankful for your presence here today. Several years ago that uh, a guy that you've probably heard of, uh, his name's Dan Kathy. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he owns a little restaurant chain that's been quite successful. It's all right, Chick-fil-A, and uh, done pretty well. But he was asked in a conference with a bunch of other leaders one time, He was asked this simple question, what's the goal of Chick-fil-A? That's a great question, right? 
You would think maybe he'd answer, well, it's to have great chicken sandwiches or it's to get everybody that comes to the store to start uh, saying it's my pleasure or maybe their, their goal is to say, you know, we have the best uh, chicken sauces in the world, which I agree. Man, I just discovered the buffalo. It's good. Zesty <laughs> buffalo. Anyway, but here's what he said. In response to that question, his answer was different. And the owner said this, Dan Cathy said, our goal is to create great stories. We want to create experiences where people come into our restaurant and they leave with a great story. And then he shared this. He said, a few years ago, there was a, one of our managers was having a super busy day, which I don't know if you've been to Chick-fil-A lately, that's every day, right? And the day was busy and it was raining hard outside and he was working the counter and he was trying to get things behind, behind the counter going and this manager looked outside and a minivan had pulled up with a mom with three small children in tow. And she was trying to, you know, juggle all that. You guys know our zoo back here, which I don't know what happened to the zoo today. But the zoo, if you, if you, if you go back there, Corbin's back there, it's still a zoo. So uh, you know how that is, juggling children. And it was raining on her, and she was trying to just, she was, she was very much looked disheveled. And this manager, in response to this, ran from his post inside, grabbed a big old uh, golf umbrella, and ran outside and gave her shelter from the rain, helped her into the store, walked her kids into the store, set her down at a table, and said, give me your order and your debit card. He took her order. He wasn't going to give her a free meal. But he, he gave her, he, he took her order and then went behind the counter and had her just sit there. She didn't have to stay in line with the three small children. And they brought her and served her. Now this story took off. And it took off not because Chick-fil-A got a hold of it and came up with some slick marketing campaign or they reenacted the drama or something like that. It took off. Why? Because stories have power. It took off because everybody in the store, when the manager took off outside, saw it. And it took off because the woman, after that experience, shared on her social media and shared with all her friends. You'll never guess how well I was treated at Chick-fil-A. Well, the story took off so much that it even got back to Chick-fil-A headquarters and Dan, Kathy himself. And right after hearing the story, Dan, Kathy, and the other executives did one thing. They ordered thousands and thousands of umbrellas so that every Chick-fil-A would have an umbrella. If you've ever seen an umbrella sitting by the door to Chick-fil-A, that's one. See, we realize and we know that there is power in a good story. When Jesus spoke, how did He speak? He spoke in parables. He spoke in story. He used illustrations. He pulled examples from farmers and fishermen in everyday life. He loved to tell a great story. So much so that the Gospel of Mark uh, employs this hyperbole in Mark chapter 4, verse 34. It's a hyperbole because we know that he said other things, but Mark says Jesus never said anything without speaking in parables. Stories. Jesus knew the power of a great story, and so do you. 
To illustrate, just think about this for just a moment. If you could boil it all down and ask yourself, what's the one thing I want my kids or my grandkids or my family or my friends to know about my life? What's the one thing I want them to remember? You're not going to come up with some arbitrary, uh, trivial knowledge, right? Which I know some of you have. Well, I want my kids to know the quadratic equation. You know, you're not going to say that. You're not going to say, even if you are a grammar nerd, I want them to know I before E except after C, except that never actually applies in the English language, right? You're going to want them to know what? A story. Maybe your whole story. Maybe one specific story. We want people to know the experiences we've had, the moments we've had, in which our lives have been changed by stories. And so for week three, this is week three of our summer school, the the series in which we are taking the posture of students. To sit at Jesus' feet, we're going to go to one of His most famous stories. If you're following along in your Bible, it's in Luke chapter 15. It's not the one you're thinking about. It's not the prodigal son. But it's the one right before it. A story of a woman who loses something valuable. May we take this posture, may we grow. Let's pray about this as we jump into this text. Join me in prayer. Father God, may you teach us today. May we see you in this story. May we be transformed by this story. May we be in awe of this story. And by default, be in awe of you, the creator of this story. God, may all of our hearts take the posture position of learners, of disciples, of men and women and children and teens who don't have anything mastered. We're not experts at Christianity, Father. We are lifetime students. And so we ask for your spirit to come and teach, transform, and move us. Let us hear the good news today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The story starts like this. Luke 15, 8. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Now why does Jesus start this story with ten silver coins? To our western mind, ten, okay, it's just a number. But to the eastern mind, in Jewish numerology, this number, ten, is a number of completion. It's a number of value that brings to a whole. There's ten commandments. There's ten talents of gold in in Matthew 25. Ten carries with it a full amount idea. So what Jesus is doing is expressing that this woman has all that she has. It's ten silver coins. And one of them has gone missing. Her completeness is now incomplete. What was whole is now broken. It's not stolen. It's not spent. It's lost. I found this interesting that in the ancient world, people, and especially women, would sew their coins onto their clothing, onto a necklace, onto a little belt on the side. For women, it was much safer to have it sewn on than it was to face maybe getting pickpocketed out of a satchel or a bag that you have. Of course, they didn't have banks or debit cards or checking accounts or credit cards. They had what they had. So you would sew 
valuable pieces, silver coins, so you could keep it close. So this is something that represents not only all she has, but it represents what is valuable, what matters to her. And Jesus tells us at the outset, one of them is lost. Then he tells her this, doesn't she, in response to this, light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? She gets down, she gets dirty, she gets on the ground, I almost imagine her, you know, I know it doesn't say that, but I imagine her getting, looking everywhere she goes. But before we get into how she looks, let's pause. Who is the woman in the story? Who does this woman represent? Of course, she's the metaphor for God. Just as the shepherd was in the previous story about a lost sheep and who the father will be in a story about a lost son in the next, Jesus is drawing our attention in this story to the nature of God. God is like a woman who loses something valuable. The woman loses and searches. She searches carefully. She gets down. She sweeps the house. She looks everywhere. She goes through the trash. She looks down the sink. She looks under the couch cushion. She is going to do whatever it takes to find that coin, right? Can you relate? Now, unless you're a teenage boy, you understand this. Teenage boys don't look for anything, right? It's lost. Well... $500 in my wallet. It was my parents' money anyway. Who cares, right? (laughs) Right? But you know this. What is the thing that you've looked for longest in your life? Can you think of that time where you really had to go find something? I remember losing my ring down the sink, having to take the sink apart to get my wedding ring back. I remember Allison lost a, uh, a little diamond out of her engagement ring, a baguette, which is not made out of bread, right? And she looked and looked and looked, got down with a flashlight on the floor until she saw a reflection. And there was this, because I was cheap, there was this tiny, tiny diamond, right? Tiny diamond, but she found it. What have you looked for in your life the hardest? Now, if you lose something like a dollar, it's no big deal. But right, lose your keys or your wallet or that diamond out of your wedding ring. That's a totally different story, isn't it? We can relate to this because here in this story, you will go after it. Have you ever got, gone dumpster diving because you left something in the trash? Any dumpster divers out there? Yeah. I lost something in youth ministry one time and it was in a trash bag full of thrown out spaghetti and I had to get in the dumpster and find it and the, dumpster, the bag had dumped open and I was all in that spaghetti. It was awesome. Right, and I was questioning my life as a youth minister at the time. <laughs> but we will go after it, right? You'll remove sink parts. You'll spend all day. But here's the point. This is what I love about the story. What's it say? Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? How long will the woman look? Or the question that Jesus is really getting at, how long will God And the answer is until. Until he finds what he's looking for. C.S. 
receive what Jesus is getting at in this beautiful story is that you can tell something about the lover by the length of time they will spend trying to find the beloved. And Jesus reveals that God is like a woman who will do whatever it takes to find something of value. See, when we have something irreplaceable, we'll seek. We'll get down on that floor. We'll sweep the house. Ten coins. It may not matter to us. We may say no big deal, but to this woman it is. It is a big deal. The love we have for others is equal to the amount of time we'll spend looking for them. We are seeing in this story God will go after His people. He will go after what is lost relentlessly. He will seek them out. Now this brings up an unfortunate and uncomfortable truth. The point that Jesus is making that the lover will go after the beloved if they actually value the beloved, right? The length of time we spend is equal to the amount of love we have for the lost brings up an incredibly heart-wrenching, uncomfortable truth about us and about sharing the Gospel. Because the truth about sharing the Gospel when it comes to Christians, the truth is that for the most part, we don't. Right? For the most part. Now, I'm not saying you individually, but for the most part, in our culture, when it comes to sharing and seeking the lost, the uncomfortable truth is we don't. We don't share. We don't look. We don't seek. Why? Well, we could throw out all kinds of different reasons, right? And excuses. Well, it's too hard. I don't have all the answers. But really it is this, right? It comes down to this. And I I apologize if this steps all over your toes. I am stepping on my own, right? The reason I don't think about the lost every day is because I don't care. Right? The reason you don't think about your co-workers that don't know Jesus is we don't care. We've lost our love for the lost. We've forgotten who God is. Maybe perhaps the reason that we've lost our passion for the mission of God is it because we've lost our connection with the one who gave us mission. We're all on mission. And that's what this story is showing us. We serve a God who will look and has looked for you until He found you. And many of you know the power of that. But God didn't stop with you. He kept going. He's still seeking the lost. He's still going after. And we join Him. When we're found, we turn our hearts. Not towards boycotting a culture we disagree with. We don't turn our hearts to judge the world and to pick up stones. We turn our hearts towards the Lord and we become seekers as well. To go, to represent, to intercede, to love. So that we can be like God. So that we can be like Jesus. May God give us that kind of love. That we're a church that says we will seek until 
We will keep serving until. We will keep loving until. We will keep praying until. We will not grow weary in doing good until. Jesus continues the story, and I love this little transition he makes, is that when the woman finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found, right, my lost coin. I love this. This is so awesome. This is not, this is so hard for me to get my head around. It's a paradigm shift in my head. But you got to think about it this way. When the woman finds this coin, she throws a party. She invites her neighbors over. But you got to think about what's going on. There's something we miss in the story. Is that in order for her to have the party, for her to have guests in her house, every time a guest comes in, she has to explain the reason for the party. Thank you for the potato salad. And the, what are we doing here? Is it somebody's birthday? No, I lost something. But we're rejoicing that I found it. Every time. Now don't carry the metaphor too far. I'm not saying that God is somehow responsible for us being lost. I'm not saying that. Don't carry the metaphor too far. But every time this woman has to be honest, she has to say, I messed up. I lost something very valuable. But guess what? We're partying because I found it. And she has to repeat that story over and over for the potato salad. And when the guy with the cups, solo cups comes in, when the guy with the ice comes in, they got to say, what are we doing here? i got to tell you a story about what I lost and is now found. See, here's that, what we learned from this. Celebration. Now, I really want you to hone in on this. Celebration, church family, begins with honesty about losing so we can celebrate fight. Or it's being honest about that I still find myself lost and God keeps finding me. Right? The most grouchy people in church are those that forget that they can be lost. No amens on that. All right. <laughs> right? The most disapproving people in church are those people that are not honest about their sin. The most prideful I've ever been in my life is when I lose sight that God is still seeking me and finding me every day. And so Jesus is telling us this incredible story that when we're honest about what we can lose, then there's so much reason to celebrate when we find. Notice this. You can go back and look at this. But in all three parables in Luke 15, there is something in common. There's something that is lost, there's something found, and there's a party. Those are the three common threads between Luke 15's three parables. Something lost, something found, let's throw a party. Now I know that makes us uncomfortable. This is where the paradigm shift for me is hard too. But Jesus displays and teaches about a God who wants to celebrate about a God who wants to throw parties. And Jesus does this all the time, right? You guys remember his first miracle? Where's Jesus' first miracle? It's at a wedding, right? I know this bothers us, you know, but Jesus at that party turned 180 gallons of water into 180 gallons of wine. Now that bothers us. Now I don't think it was debauchery, and I don't think it's the drunkenness and the, what we think about partying today. But Jesus wants to celebrate. 
And Jesus purposely reveals who he is at his mom's request so that the party can keep going. That's how he reveals himself first. Celebration is an honesty about where I've been. Because I realize how God has changed me now. And there's a lot to celebrate, church family. Right? Man, that's good news. Here's how it ends up. And then this short little story in verse 10, Jesus just says, in the same way, just like this woman did, because I think he probably had, if I would have been in the, in the audience, I would have been like, okay, yeah, the woman had a party, but what are you saying? Right? A little bit of anybody, a skeptic out there? I've, I've got a little skepticism in me. And, and I think Jesus throws this tag on at the end to say, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Heaven throws parties. When what is lost is found, Jesus says, God celebrates when people turn their lives back to Him. When there is repentance, when there is confession, when we give our lives more over, when God finds one more, heaven joins in this amazing celebration. Now, we're pretty good at celebrating some things, aren't we? What do you guys celebrate as a family, right? I don't know what you celebrate most. Um, we weren't big into family traditions in the Perkins home, so we did birthdays were a thing, but they weren't a big deal, right? But you might be a family that celebrates birthdays big time. Like everybody's birthday matters, right? And it's a big deal. Or anniversaries might be a big deal, right? I was told by my parents, don't you throw a party when we have our 50th anniversary. <laughs> I was like, that's the way they want to celebrate. So we took them to dinner. My brother paid. I got out scot-free. It was great, <laughs> right? Right? But I don't know what you celebrate. Maybe graduations, you celebrate those moments. But I want us to think about what do we celebrate as a church? Are we celebrating the things that this parable pushes us to celebrate? Man, I got convicted this week over something that I didn't know I'd be convicted about, but I started thinking, well, why don't we throw parties for baptisms for? We have birthday parties, right? What if we started celebrating and hosting a baptism party every time? Or maybe we started gathering around and having a block party and having ice cream socials every time we have a baptism. And so we'd invite neighbors and we'd invite friends over and they'd have to come in the door and we'd have, they'd have to say, what's this about? Here's the potato salad. And we would say, I'll tell you what it's about. My son or daughter or me or my friend gave their life to Jesus. They realized that they were lost and now they're found. And now they have put their trust and their hope in a Lord who died for them and we believe who is resurrected and living again. you imagine how powerful those stories would be? How powerful those moments would be? Now we know how to celebrate baptisms pretty well. I've been in other churches where like, somebody comes out of the water and everybody goes, mm, that's good. You know, and it's like, oh, that's normal here. You know, like and, and heaven's rejoicing. And I think they're looking down at us going, man, who put orange juice in their Wheaties this morning or something like that. Right. I've been in churches like that. This church knows how to celebrate. But what if we took it even further? What if we treated it as what it is? 
It is the greatest thing we can witness when somebody comes to Jesus. What if we began to enjoy and celebrate the good news of Jesus as much as God seems to? Now let me ask that again. What if we began to celebrate and enjoy the good news of Jesus as much as God does? See, I think we need to recapture something, and I'm going to wrap up with this. Jesus is trying to tell us something about God. God is like a woman who seeks. He's like a woman who throws a party. And guess what? When that party is thrown, all heaven rejoices. But he's also telling us something that we miss. And he's telling us that the gospel is always good news, not good advice. I think that's why Jesus is telling this parable, right? Who's the audience? I know I'm flubbing a little bit. I told you guys this whole series was going to be about when Jesus takes just the 12 aside. There's other people than the 12 here. There is a crowd of sinners and tax collectors, and then there is a crowd of Pharisees and teachers of the law. And I think what Jesus is trying to do with his audience here is tell them both that the gospel is good news always. Not good advice sometimes. He is attempting to tell his followers, his students, this is what God is like, that God is a bringer of good news, that God is a seeker, that God will look for the lost until he finds But maybe we need to wrap up with dusting off the word gospel again. Gospel is kind of one of those Christianese words that gets thrown around a lot so much that it loses its power. Right? That we forget what it actually means. We throw it around a lot. I grew up going to gospel meetings, which is what we called revivals because we were scared of that word. Um, uh, We throw around the word and say, turn to the gospel of Matthew. There's four books in your New Testament. But maybe we've forgotten what the word really means. The word really just simply means good news. It comes from the German, Gutspiel. Uh, <laughs> that's where we get it from, gospel, Gutspiel. I like saying that. I don't know any German other than that. But it really comes from this Greek word, euangelion, which we get the word evangelism. Evangelism isn't to tell somebody good advice or to convince. Evangelism is to say there has been something happened that it's great news. It's good news. The Greek borrows the word euangelion from the Hebrew word that always meant there is a king, and because there is a king, things are about to change. And so this word gospel is news. It's about something that has happened. It's not good advice. It's good news. And the difference is this. Advice is something you offer. And the person that you're offering it to can heed the advice, but what you're advising them about probably hasn't happened yet. So the person receiving the advice can choose to take the advice or not. But news is different, right? News is a report about something that has already happened. And it's not up to the person to make it reality or not. You can't change what happened, but you can respond to it. And there's a world of difference between advice and and good news. Think about it this way. Imagine that you've been diagnosed with an incurable disease. 
Advice would be all the friends and the people that would come to you and say, have you tried this megavitam? Have you done this? Have you tried this new diet that's supposed to get rid of that? You know, maybe the advice you'd get by YouTube and your disease and you'd get all this crazy stuff that'd come up or you'd get on social media and say, what do I do, Facebook? Because man, everything that's on Facebook is true. And so you'd want all that, right? That's advice. But good news would be a call that you get a couple weeks later from the doctor and the doctor says, we have a cure. That's good news. You see the difference? Christianity is not, hey, let me give you some advice on 10 steps to live a better life so you can go to heaven. Christianity is good news that a king came to earth in the form of a child lived a life as a servant, died on your behalf, was buried for three days, and we believe that he rose again. It is news that something has happened. And therefore, we have to respond to it. Because if somebody rose from the dead, that's incredibly good news. And if somebody rose from the dead, then that changes everything. Jesus is the king. Jesus died for you. The king rose from the dead and you can join him in an eternal life. That's good news. That's worth celebrating. And that's what Jesus is trying to take his disciples and his listeners and tell them, let me tell you about a God. Let me tell you about a God who looks for you so much that he will look for you until he finds you. And he's the God of good news. And when he finds you, he doesn't just go, well, welcome home, sinner. (laughs) Right? When he finds you, he goes, this is the greatest thing ever. I had a speaker, we won't do this today, but I had a speaker years and years ago at one of my first youth camps I ever went to. It was about 2,000 kids at this camp. And he had all the kids line up in a big arch down one of the aisles in this big auditorium we're in. And he said, this is what it's like when you come to Christ. And he got a couple kids up on stage and he, and he said, what's your name? And the kids said, I'll just use you, Anderson and Weston. They said, we're Anderson and Weston. And he said, this is what it's going to be like when you guys come to Christ. And he had everybody in there, 2,000 kids, just start chanting their name. Yeah, Anderson and Weston have come to Jesus. And then he ran them down through that arch back and forth. And I thought, well, that's different. And the more I've thought about that, I thought, that's rejoicing. That's good news. That's what heaven looks like, and that's what heaven will look like when Jesus comes back. And so we share good news with you today. It's good news, guys. If you have found yourself being kind of stuck, I think the biggest thing affecting us as Christians today isn't that we're finding ourselves walking away from the Lord. I think the biggest thing affecting the church today is that we've stopped following the Lord. We're still on the path, but we've just stopped at the Gatorade stand for too long. And Jesus doesn't stop at the Gatorade stand, does he? He's like, let's keep going, right? Because, Jake, there's more I want to transform in you. There's more I want to remove from you. There's parts and pieces that you need to remove from your life. There's more to do in you, right? And I say, yeah, that's true, Lord. And so I think that's our biggest issue. So if that's you today... Man, there's good news. God hasn't stopped looking at you. God hasn't given up on you. God doesn't look at you and go, well, that was a good try. Now he keeps looking. Or maybe today you're just somebody who's like, I just need to start all over. Or I need to get a good start. 
That's what baptism is. Baptismal waters are us connecting to Jesus so that new life can spring. So that we can be connected to good news and so that we can rejoice that what was lost is now. If you need anything this morning, we're here for you. Let's stand together and sing. Uh, Ward, uh, I think Kelly is in the back. If you, uh, Wards will be back there, Kelly and Ruth, if you need to pray with them as well. And then we're up front here too. Everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing. And